0: Well, hello, my name is Katie and I am so excited to be here with you today as we wrap up our series called Dangerous prayers where we have been talking about the types of prayers to pray If you would like your life to be disrupted And today our prayer is so dangerous and so disruptive that it has a title The title of the prayer we're talking about today is called the Maranatha And it is found in the book of Revelation, and it is a quick, simple prayer stating simply, Come, Lord Jesus. And this may not feel like a crazy, out there, dangerous prayer until you understand it within its context of the book of Revelation. Friends, the book of Revelation is all about the visions that the Apostle John saw on how the world is going to end. Before Jesus comes and judges earth and makes everything new. Like there are dragons and there is fire and there are plagues. It is a wild read. And kind of because of the weird vision dream language that John uses. That pastors and authors and and um, movie makers. There's been a whole lot of attention. This The subject even has its own genre. We call it the end times. And there's a lot of content out there there's some really interesting reads uh, but if you have read any of those book series or if you're just personally interested in revelation or the end times you probably haven't thought of the second coming of jesus as something that we're supposed to be like looking forward to it seems a little bit more like tax season like maybe yeah i believe that it's coming but i'd rather it didn't <laughs> um, but the maranatha prayer Is a prayer of both preparation saying I am ready for Jesus to come back and also eager anticipation I want Jesus to come back and and so we're going to talk a little bit about that we are going to look at what Jesus has to say about his second coming and we're going to ask ourselves some questions about how ready we are for Jesus to come and judge And recreate the world. And listen. I realize that I've said the word judge now twice. Which might be more than all of you have heard it in 2022. And it's actually a good thing. The second coming of Jesus is really a message of hope. Because it's Jesus saying. No the world will not always be as broken as it is now. We will not always be so plagued by death. And sickness. And grief. And sin. One day I will come. And I will wipe every tear away and I'll put an end to the hurt. And so the type of person that is looking forward to the second coming of Jesus is is the person that recognizes how broken our world is now and longs for it to be made new again. So before we get into what Jesus has to say about his second coming, I'd like to put the second coming of Jesus kind of in context of biblical and human history, just so that we all have context and a good understanding of what we're talking about. So the Bible starts in Genesis, Um, mankind, Adam and Eve break it almost immediately. And God comes and he tells us that he will send a redeemer and a savior to come and fix what we broke. And so the entirety of the Old Testament, the pre-Jesus scripture, is about God rescuing his people and pointing them towards the savior that he's going to send one day. And with our perspective on history, we believe that Jesus is that savior. And so we call the first time that Jesus came to earth the first coming. It's creative. And so Jesus comes to earth as a baby. He lives a perfect life. He dies the death that I deserve. He paid for our sin in hell. Rose three days later. And then after appearing to hundreds of people. He ascends into heaven. And Jesus is there now. And he will stay there. Until he comes again. And so let's take a look at what Jesus has to say. About what his second coming will look like in matthew twenty four verses thirty six he says "But about that day or hour, no one knows not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man, for in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving up in marriage, up into the day that Noah entered the ark, and then they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. And this is how it will be at the coming of the son of man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming... He would have kept watch and he would have not have let his house be broken into So you also must be ready Because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him All right. I want to pause here for just a minute because jesus is telling us two things First off We're not going to figure out the day and time that jesus is coming He's told us that you're not going to know it's going to be a surprise no one, no one is going to have the inside scoop on when Jesus is coming back. And also, he wants us to be eagerly anticipating his return. And that's interesting because wouldn't he just tell us when he's coming back? Like, if he really wants us to be ready, it would be great if he just gave us an exact day, an exact time. But instead, every single generation since Jesus ascended has believed that he is coming back in their lifetime. And up until now, they've all been wrong. But you know, I think it's still pleasing to God that they expected him to return within their lifetime. And here's why. Because you and I live differently when we understand that we don't have an unlimited amount of time. So the first question that I want to ask us about the Maranatha prayer is, am I living with a sense of urgency? Friends, if you've ever been on a budget, you spend your money differently. If you've ever been on a diet, you consider what you eat differently and when you and i live with the understanding that we don't have an unlimited amount of time we will become more intentional with the way that we spend it i believe if you are a christ follower that jesus has put people in your life that do not know him yet and your mission is to live in such a way that makes them curious about the hope that you have and everybody wants a calling from god But all too often, when God asks us to walk across a room and have a conversation with somebody about him, we chicken out. We think, well, maybe somebody else will do it, or I'll do it later. I just really don't want to be weird. I don't want them to think that I'm weird. Maybe I'll take them to church one day, and a pastor can do it. It shouldn't be me, and it absolutely should not be right now. I want to share a story with you. I I believe um, the Holy Spirit was prompting me to send a text to a friend, and um, I didn't want to. And I don't know if it's just because it wasn't my idea, but I mean, but like the wording was specific. It, It was, I want you to send this text, and I want it to say, "Hey, I see the hard work that you're doing, and I'm proud of you." So it's not even like a Jesus conversation text. I just didn't want to do it. I'm like, it feels weird. I don't know this person that well. It feels like really motherly. And and I just don't want it. They're probably going to hate me if I send that text. Like it'll probably just end the friendship altogether. Right? So I fought it for a little bit. And you know how the Holy Spirit is where it's like, like, no. Please do. So I've, I went ahead and I did it. I'm trying to be more obedient when the Holy Spirit is asking me to do things. So I sent the text message really hoping that they were driving and they wouldn't actually read it. And we would never have to circle back to it ever again. The friend texted back immediately. And they're like, oh, wow, well, thanks. Like, that means a lot to me. Like, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, why did you send it? Like, why did you tell me that? like, guys, you thought I was uncomfortable beforehand. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, we're already in this. Okay, Jesus. Like, take the wheel. Here we go. Okay, I sent that text. I see the hard work that you're doing. And I'm proud of you. Because I really feel like Jesus wanted me to send it to you. And so I guess that means that Jesus sees the hard work that you're doing. And that he's proud of you, too. And they don't hate me. They weren't offended, Um, but as far as I know, they're not a Jesus follower, and I just have to wonder what that meant to them, that, that somebody believes that God sees them and is proud of their progress. And so friends, when we live a Maranatha lifestyle, when we're willing to pray, come Lord Jesus, I think that sense of urgency is the encouragement that we need to step into uncomfortable spaces and conversations when we would otherwise just want to chicken out. And and I know that some of you don't pray, come Lord Jesus, because you have people in your life that you love, and they don't know Jesus yet. And, And listen, Jesus loves them too, and he's patient with them. But I believe if if you pray, come Lord Jesus, that it will remind you and it will remind us that we simply do not have time for selfishness and greed and divisive arguments. Because our Savior could come at any time. And it is pleasing to him when we are living with that sense of urgency. I want to go ahead and continue. In Matthew, Jesus continues and says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It would be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that the servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour that he is not aware of. So the next question that I believe the Maranatha asks is, am I living like I believe that Jesus is coming back? And, and Friends, I think it would be really easy for us to read that passage about a good servant and a bad servant and the good one's doing what he's supposed to be doing and the bad one is being evil and just think like, okay, Jesus is coming back. Great. Um, I just need to behave well. I need to get my act together. And I just need to be a good person. And I think that misses the point of this passage. Because the good servant was being good because he believed that his master was coming back. And the bad servant didn't think he would ever be held accountable. And so because he didn't believe that he would ever be held accountable, he was mistreating the people that he was supposed to be caring for. And he was squandering the resources available to him. And so I think the point is less about, like, well, how do I be a good person? Like, we want that checklist, right? We, we want a moral code of, like, well, what do I have to do? Or what do I not have to do in order to get on the, the nice list and avoid the naughty list or whatever it is? And it's just not what Jesus asks of us. Friends, um, when I drive home from work... There's often this gentleman who is holding a sign on the corner of Stacy and 75. So I, I see him occasionally, and he looks like a really nice guy. Um, you know, he's dressed well, and he has this sign, and it says, "Repent! Jesus is coming back. The end is near." And I always see his sign, and it kind of makes me laugh because I agree. Like, yeah, I do need to repent and Jesus is coming back. And sure, the end is near. I just got to wonder if holding a sign on a street corner is really the best use of your time. Like, what if you just went home and loved your family in a way that made them wonder where you learned to love like that? What if you were just a really good neighbor? Really good friend, a really good coworker, really good son, or like, is holding a sign on a street corner, like, is that, is that what Jesus wants from us? And no, it's not. It, it, Jesus tells us what he wants. He, he says, they're going to understand that you're my disciples. They're going to understand that you love me by the way that you love other people. And he modeled what he wants that love to look like. And Jesus' love was, was characterized by sacrifice and serving others. And so if, if we're going to ask, like, is this a life that I would like to be caught living? Um, we need to look at it through that lens. Is my life characterized by love and service and self-sacrifice to others? Am I loving the way that Jesus has loved me? Or or do I just have a checklist that I'm going off of? When we ask, am I living a life that I'd like to be caught living? I know that 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 sounds aggressive. And listen, I'm not intending for this to be like a gotcha kind of moment. Um, We We have a monthly review with our supervisors at work. Every single month, we sit down with our supervisor and we ask the same questions. At the beginning of our ministry years, we set goals for ourselves, we set goals for our ministry, and then every month we sit down and we just we talk about the goals that we've set, and we just kind of have a check-in. Are we working towards the big things that we've already decided are important, or have we gotten distracted by the little things that just tend to come up in life? And because they're predictable, because I know they're every month, because I know what questions are being asked, I'm never worried going into those check-ins. I'm not nervous that I'm about to get shamed or yelled at or fired because I know the heart behind it. And honestly, it is simply the kindest thing that anyone could do to check in and ask, hey, are you focused on the big goals right now? Or have you gotten distracted? Are the things that are most important to you a goal of your day to day? or have they been pushed to the back burner and so i would like to give you that same kindness and give you a moment to ask yourself am i living a life that i would like to be caught living or have i gotten distracted and listen i know some of you might be thinking like well no i'm i don't think i'm ready Like, if Jesus came back today, I don't think he would find me in a good year. Uh, Certainly not a good season. Today itself has been rough. I was a mess on the way up here. Like, I was angry until I sat down. Whatever. And listen, first off, please don't keep that to yourself. Like, if you came with someone, talk to them about it. If you have a trusted friend, talk to them about it. The people at the hub, that's why they're here. They want to talk to you. It's not the type of thing to keep to yourself. Because if you and I are going to pray confidently, come Lord Jesus. We have to have a sense of assurance that we're ready and that we're prepared. And I understand that we will never fully be ready and prepared for the second coming of Jesus. But there is this sense of like, no, but I'm. I'm it's not about the checklist. It's not about, am I being a good person? Um, but man, I'm focused. And I know who I am supposed to be focusing on. I'd like to spend some time and I'd like to talk about the category of people that had the hardest time with Jesus during His first coming. Because I think it can shed some light on you and I as we anticipate His second coming. Because the people that were the most frustrated by Jesus shouldn't have been. Because they were the people who had memorized the prophets. Who had spent their life in religious organizations. The religious leaders of the day of Jesus should have recognized who he was and is. And should have quickly embraced him as Messiah. But instead they were the most hostile. And I got to wonder why. Because Jesus went to great lengths to communicate with them. Jesus visited their synagogues. He spoke to them using scripture. He spoke to them using their vernacular on their turf. And they just didn't like it. You see, I believe a great deal of their dislike for Jesus was was not as much about who he is and more about where they were. You see, the religious leaders of the days of Jesus, they were powerful. They were wealthy. They were well And Jesus wasn't offering them more wealth and more power. He was offering them salvation. And they just didn't really feel like they needed saving in the ways that Jesus was offering saving. And so most of them missed Emmanuel, God with us, because they had accumulated their own brand of comfort and joy. Friends, this gives me reason to pause because when I look at my life, like, well, first off, I work for a church. Like, I fit that religious leader category. It's terrifying. (laughs) But then you look at my family, like, we're well. We're getting by okay. And so I have to ask myself, like, is part of the reason that I don't long for the return of Jesus because I'm just so comfortable And what I've learned through this series as we talk about dangerous prayers is that it is really hard to have the full and abundant life that Jesus is offering while also staying within my comfort zone. When Jesus talks about who he is and who he is for, there's not a whole lot he can do with someone that believes that their life is perfect and that they have things all put together. And that's not on Jesus. That's on me. Because if i filled my hands with the trinkets that this world has to offer, then, then I, I don't have room to receive anything from him. Jesus says in Matthew 9, he says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. So what is... What does this mean? What exactly is Jesus saying because I I don't think the point that he's trying to get across is that only some people need a doctor I think the point that he's trying to get across is that everybody needs a doctor But only the people that are willing to raise their hand And admit that they're sick Are going to make the appointment This time of year especially it's always funny to me how sick people have to get before they'll go and make an appointment Myself, especially I just don't like it. Um, I'll do almost anything to avoid a doctor And maybe that's not you but maybe you live with somebody like that And so you just watch this person like cough and sneeze and shiver and just refuse to own what is going on in their own body And we all have something that we do this with like I I have friends Who have been driving around their car for months with the check engine light on They're just like no, I know my car. It's fine. Like really? Or or maybe you know that your spouse isn't happy with you right now. She just don't really feel like you have the energy to deal with the problem. And so you just pretend like everything's fine. We all have something in our life that we know isn't great. We're just not ready to admit that it's wrong. And so we keep on moving. And listen, friends, it is one thing to drive around with your check engine light on. It is an entirely different story to do that with your soul. And even as Christ followers, I, I think sometimes like, we understand that Jesus has saved me. Um, but we don't want to talk about how Jesus is also continually saving us. And so he has these things in our life that he wants to work on, that he wants to make better. But oftentimes that process is scary or painful or intimidating. And so we just don't want to do it. Guys, this series has pointed out some crazy idols in my life. I don't want to pray, Lord, make me brave because I really like my comfort zone. I don't want to pray, Lord, search me because I have some junk in my life and it's scary. And I would rather just pretend like it is not there at all. And then the whole send me, like he never says where. I don't like that. But if we want to experience Jesus in this lifetime, if we want that hope, then we have to be willing to have our lives interrupted by Jesus. And friends, I believe that it comes down to trust. We have our comfort zone, and it's safe, and we know what to expect. And we're so thankful for Jesus saving us for heaven. I just don't want him to save me right now in the situation that I'm in because it's scary. And we have to ask ourselves, do I really trust that God is good? Do I really trust that he actually loves me and that the thing that he is asking me to step into is part of his will and part of his plan and that it is for the best. Am I willing to have my plans interrupted? I'd like to close by comparing this life to a hotel room. Friends, if you've ever visited a hotel, it is perfectly acceptable for you to enjoy the big fluffy pillows. You are welcome to sleep in that bed. It's part of it. Um, You can even unpack your bags and hang your clothes in the little closet if you want. Please don't hang your pictures on the wall. It's not permanent. It's not your home. And this life... It has some wonderful things to offer, and it's okay to enjoy the wonderful things that it has to offer. But please don't get distracted by comfort in a way that makes you hesitant to respond to Jesus when he asks you to step into something new and unknown and scary. I'd like to close by wishing you a season of true comfort and true joy. Knowing full well that as a people, we are celebrating the first coming of Jesus. Knowing that we'll be surprised by the day and the time of his second coming. But knowing also that we have been focused on his return. And that we have lived in such a way where we are prepared. Come, Lord Jesus. We're ready.